Well, good morning once again. My name is Pete, and despite my antics, I am one of the elders here. I am glad you're here and online. You can go ahead and open up your Bibles to John chapter 11. That's what we'll be raising up today. So, you know how in sitcoms, there always seems to be that episode where the characters are trying to get to a destination, but due to some silly circumstances along the way, they never quite make it to that destination, or else they're really late to that destination. Yeah, well, my Annie, she stresses out during episodes like this. She's always like, hun, they're not going to make it, hun. Just turn it off, hun. I hate this storyline, hun. Well, y'all know that uh, Jesus was presumably late, right? Hold on to that. For in a bit, we'll read a story where I will point out more about what happens along the way. Sorry, Annie. But forefront, we've been in our series entitled Miracles. And for many people, this this was their first exposure to Jesus. And I imagine they were a little weirded out by him. He didn't have a creepy theme song, though, though he spoke in some strange ways. But up to date, we've already seen Jesus turn water to wine at a wedding, heal a layman on the Sabbath, and feed the 5,000. And it's these miracles that not only say what Jesus can do, but more so about who Jesus is. They all attracted believers, but some also stirred up the haters. And the raising of Lazarus is no different. Perhaps even more so, it stirred up the haters. Because the Pharisees, they plot to kill Jesus after this miracle. But what I hope to convey is this. Something I'm calling the Lazarus conundrum. Church, you ever had an expectation of God where you thought he didn't come through on? I'll go as far as to say all of us have. Whether it's a broken dream of some sort, a professional opportunity that didn't materialize, or an ailment that hasn't dissipated as timely as you would have liked. Well, our perceptions, they can get a little skewed in these situations like this. And it's these skewed perceptions that like to keep us company, even though they've outstayed their welcome. You know what I'm talking about? So I've entitled this sermon, Three's Company, as it does involve three presumably single family members living together, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. The part of Mr. Roper will be played by Jesus. Only these aren't his tenants. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus are his really good friends. They're the type of friends where, well, if you're known for something that you do, you don't have to do that thing when you're at their house. It's like when Pastor Drew comes to the crib, kicks his feet up on the coffee table, and in that moment becomes just Drew. It's like that. But how do we come to this conclusion that these are his really good friends? Well, they're mentioned three times in the Bible. First, in Luke chapter 7, when Martha first invites Jesus and the disciples into her home. And each each of these times, it's like more so for their hospitality than anything else. And also in each time, there's like this conversation that happens. Like a good conversation that we have with close friends. So what I hope to convey is this. There are three ways in which this Lazarus conundrum manifests and three negative connotations that come with these unmet expectations. It's also my third time preaching for you all, so hey, no shortage of parallels this morning. 
But I also want to give you this disclaimer, that you can have great faith and still get frustrated. There you go, free of charge. But what do we do with the frustration? Do we stop talking to God? Stop coming to church? It's amazing how when we're mad at somebody or something, we'll do things to get even and ultimately hurt ourselves in the end. But let's get into it. John chapter 11. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was a Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. We'll stop there for now. Church, this is a long one, but this is what you came for, right? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now it's worth knowing that John is not one of the synoptic gospels. Perhaps you Bible aficionados already know this. But as for the rest of us, Matthew, Mark, Luke, they had similar perspectives, similar orders to them, and could be seen together, synoptic, as the term defines. And what John does, he has his own arrangement. He uses the seven miracles that Jesus performed, the seven I am statements that Jesus said, and he puts them in a way to like build up to this big reveal that Jesus is who he says he is, the Son of God. So yeah, no pressure in teaching this today. It has been said, though, that the others didn't want to alert um, people of Jesus' whereabouts. But while writing in the style that he does, this allows, allows John to add in some commentary like that in verse 2. Let's go back and take a look at it. It was Mary who had anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. I mean, he's referencing a story that happens later in John chapter 12, where Jesus is at the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus at a dinner shortly before his death. And Mary is essentially worshiping at Jesus' feet as Martha prepares the dinner. John also adds some commentary you should check out later about Judas calling him a thief and he who would soon betray him. Be sure to check that out. But the lesson here is that in order to get to the place of worship like Mary is in, in John chapter 12, well, you might have gone through the hardship of John chapter 11. In order to be that grateful that you want to sacrifice an expensive jar of perfume, well, maybe you've gone through, through some things that Jesus has brought you out of. Church, has Jesus brought you out of some things that you've been this grateful for? Go ahead and shout if he has. I'll give you a second. There you go. <laughs> but this brings me to my first point in which the Lazarus conundrum manifests, and that is this. An unmet expectation could be the result of an unexpressed expectation and might lead to some disappointment. And this, friends, is one part biblical lesson one part marriage advice, so you're welcome. But you couples know what it's like when one of you watches one of y'all's shows without the other one, right? 
It puts a strain on the relationship. Things are said. Oh, you watch that without me? Well, I had no idea you want to see it. You never said so. An unmet expectation could be the result of an unexpressed expectation. You feel me? Just recently I had to make a deal with Annie saying, okay, you had the Sandman while I watched season three of the Umbrella Academy. But I digress. Let's get back to the story. Let's take a look at verse three. So the sister sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. That's all they said though. It sounds like they had figured that he would know what they are referring to. But watch what Jesus says back to them. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. I mean, could you imagine being the messenger? Wait, what you want me to tell them? The one whom you love is ill? Okay, and then, hey, Jesus, the one who you love is ill. Then, wait, what you want me to tell him? Sickness will not lead to death. Okay, the sickness will not lead to death. I mean, they clearly didn't say that, state that they want Jesus to come heal their brother, nor did Jesus clearly state that, that he was going to come heal their brother. But this leads to some disappointment, as they expected him to come, even though that is not what they had expressed. Church, are you telling Jesus exactly what you want? Even though you're frustrated with God, don't stop talking to God. He's a big God. He can handle it. Verse 5 says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard Lazarus was ill, Lazarus was ill he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Did y'all catch that? It doesn't say because he loved them, but he stayed. Well, that would imply that, would imply that he couldn't. He is hung up. It says, because he loved them, so he stayed. Now, I don't even know if I'm fully qualified to unpack this kind of theology. Might need a podcast or something. But I know enough to know that that's deep. Because he loved them, so he waited. I'll say this, Jesus loves it when you trust him. It is like his love language. He loves it more than your perfect church attendance record. God's delay doesn't always mean denial. His pause may be to see if you trust him. He still has your best interest at heart. They just might be on layaway. In order to get him off layaway, well, you got to trust him. It takes time to work all things together for your good, or better yet, for his glory. Because he loved Lazarus, he's going to let him experience something before he himself experiences it. Hmm? The second way in which, Lazarus, in which the Lazarus conundrum manifests is this. An unmet expectation of God could be the result of a perplexed expectation and might lead to some heartache. In other words, we might get so confused by God's process, we may feel as though we didn't get the outcome. Or that maybe our expectation is more complex than we realize. 
Or perhaps you've got a word from God that you don't know how to interpret. You've got to get around some godly folk to help you interpret this. So like a lot of kids, my son Daniel hates it when a plan changes or steps are thrown into a plan. This causes some heartache, you see, because he'll fear we're not going to do the thing that we set out to do. Like, hey, Daniel, we got to run to Auntie Jenny's house, too. Wait, so we're not going mini-golfing? So you got to be a little literal with them. No, first we're going to go here, and then we'll go there. The agony of adolescence, am I right? The disciples would often question Jesus' motives and get confused by the expectation. Let's read on in verse 7. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you are going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anybody walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if anybody walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. I told you he spoke in some strange ways. But the Jewish people, like many nations, well, they would divide the day up from sunrise to sunset into two equal 12-hour parts, and you had to get all your work done in the daylight. So what Jesus is alluding to here is that he's got a job to do. You know, willingly marched to his own death, and ain't no harm going to come to him until that time. And after saying these things, in verse 11, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. Then the disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. You just got to love the disciples. You forget that they were just some average dudes who go on to do above average things. Kind of like the, the axe-throwing disciples of Forefront Church. Like these dudes. <laughs> Verse 13 goes, So now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus had died. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then old, old, good old Doubting Thomas time, chimes in. We have all been Doubting Thomas at times. So Thomas called the twin, who is he the twin of? Me, you, says to his fellow disciples, let us also go so that we may die with him. In other words, wait, we're not going mini-golfing? The third way in which the Lazarus conundrum manifests is an unmet expectation could be the result of an perplexed expectation. In other words, God already knew what he wanted to do for you, even though it may not align with what you would thought he would do for you. It's kind of like back in week six of the football season when the Kansas City Chiefs expected to beat the Buffalo Bills again, but, you know, God had other things in mind. He had other things in mind. And, of course, the man ain't here when I get to get him back. As for later, compadre... 
But, uh, well, I used to want to be in entertainment somehow. There's some occurrences that happened in my life that made me think things were headed in that direction or that maybe God was up to something. Growing up, I was a quiet kid that could rap. I excelled at a public speaking class while going to culinary school. I stumbled upon a voice-over acting workshop while working in grocery stores. But nothing ever came to fruition, though. And I would certainly go from disappointment to heartache to anguish. But meanwhile, God has come 180 on it and has used all of it, used all of me, for his glory. It's looked a little like this. Oh, so you want to be a rapper. Well, I'm going to have you do the spoken words and rhyme about me. Oh, you want to be the host of something. Well, I'm going to have you MC the services and talk about things that matter to me. Oh, you want to be a voice? Well, be a voice that teaches about me. Oh, you want to be a celebrity? Well, how about I send you to Guatemala? Guatemala as a missionary. And well, I'd be remiss. I didn't say that it's been so much more rewarding this way and I'm exactly to where I'm supposed to be let's read on verse 17 says now when Jesus came he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days Bethany was near Jerusalem about two miles off he had been dead four days There are two other instances in the Bible where Jesus raises up somebody from the dead, but in each one of those, he does it almost instantaneously. For the widow's son in Luke chapter 7, he touches the casket the boy is in, tells him to arise. For the royal's daughter in Matthew chapter 9, he goes into the house the dead girl is in, grabs her by the arm, and stands her right up. But why doesn't he do this for Lazarus? Why four days? Well, many theologians will point to the Jewish people at the time. You see, the Jewish people had a belief that the spirit would hover around the body for three days. And after showing no signs of resuscitation, the spirit would leave and the person would be definitely dead at four days. So, remember when I said Jesus was presumably late? Turns out he's not presumably late. He is productively late. It's not the tardiness of Jesus on display here. It is tactfulness. It's the result of a preset expectation. Jesus wanted this miracle to be unexpected and so much more striking. He probably thought, oh, you already know I can heal. You already know I can do the instant thing. Wait and watch for what I do next. So Jesus... He had already spoke the end at the beginning in verse 4, saying, this sickness will not lead to death. He told his disciples in verse 15, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. Now Jesus wants everybody to believe. Let's read on. Verse 19 says, And many of the Jews had come to Martha and to Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha had heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha went out to meet him and was like, Now, Jesus, 
Nuh-uh. You ain't coming to the house today. Don't go knocking at our door. We already waited for you. These kisses ain't yours, ain't yours, ain't yours. You ain't coming. We wanted you to. You can have great faith and still get frustrated. But what do you do with the frustration? You could take Martha's lead. Let's see what really happened. Verse 21, Martha had said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And you just got to love the next thing she says. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Even though she's frustrated, she still talks to God. Even though she's frustrated, she still believes in God. God, I wish you hadn't let me endure so much pain, but I still know that you're God. God, I wish you had fixed my financial situation, but I still know that you're God. Lord, I wish that you had, but I know that you are. Notice that Jesus doesn't even rebuke her. How does he respond? Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. This was a common belief amongst the Jews already, probably due to the influence of the Pharisees. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Somebody shout if you believe it. I should have said everybody. Forefront church, do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? Well, amen, just checking. But if you're here today and really want to believe this, but it's just a little hard right now, Will you put that on a connection card or maybe see me or a member, member of our prayer team after the service? She said to him in verse 27, Yes, Lord, I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. And then we'll get Mary's reaction. Verse 28, when she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here. And is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. Church, Jesus will only go as far as you let him in. Are you expecting him to work in some of your situations that you haven't invited him into yet? Or the problems at work that you haven't prayed about, invited him into yet? Or the problems at home that you haven't prayed about, invited him into yet? Or are you leaving Jesus at the gate? Verse 31. When the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise up and go quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. It's the same reaction as Martha's. But even though she's frustrated, 
she still falls at his feet. She still reveres Jesus, still holds him in high regard. Verse 33, so when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. In the ancient Greek text, this phrase literally means to snort like a horse. You get it. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Okay, so I know it's just November, but come January, somebody in here is going to say they want to memorize more scripture for the new year. Well, you can start right here. John chapter 11, verse 35, coming soon, Jesus wept. It has been said that Pastor Drew's boy, Charles Spurgeon, well, he wrote a couple few sermons on these two words alone. Why? Because how powerful they are when you think about them. Jesus puts his fully God and fully man on full display. He had left divinity took on humanity to endure our pain, to sympathize with us. And if there's anybody here today or online that hasn't said yes to Jesus, yes to these things, yes that he had come and died for your sins, well, I hope you'll talk to somebody today. But before Jesus changes the trajectory of Mary and Martha's and the crowds around him's lives, he cries with them. Church, are we doing the same? Are we expecting people to change? Will we have a cry with them first? I'm going to cry right now. Are we being people, helping people experience new life in Jesus when we haven't shouldered their burden for a minute? Can I challenge us to weep with somebody this week? Verse 36 says, So the Jews said, See how he loved them. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind may have also kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, and this has got to be the biblical equivalent to, you know, hold my pop. That thing you say before you assert your authority over something, you know, before you go school your kids and you got to hold my jewelry. Jesus says, take away the stone. And you may ask, well, why didn't Jesus just remove the stone? Because Jesus will do for ourselves, do for us what we can't do for ourselves. If it's something that we can, he's going to let us do it ourselves. He'll open the opportunistic doors, but it's up to us to put our proverbial feet in them. He'll get you that interview, but only if you applied. Church. Are there obstacles in the way of Jesus working in your life? Steps that you need to take on your own? So then, Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, and well, you got to go to King James Version here. Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So church, not only will Jesus go as far as you let him, 
But he really wants to go to those places where you don't. To where it stinketh so. To the messy closets of our hearts. When you are at the point of your faith dwindling, when your Lazarus conundrum has reached its peak, he wants to go to that place. Will you let him? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you have sent me. So it shouldn't be lost that this is our first Sunday back after Thanksgiving. We may have all sat around our tables this week, talked about how thankful we are, how thankful, thankful we are for the year past. Or perhaps when we said grace, we thank the Lord for things that happened in the year past. But did you thank it from the year ahead? If you had, gold star. But that is essentially what Jesus is doing here. He's thinking, thanking the Lord for things that come, thanking the Lord that he's going to allow him to do the things that he's getting ready to do. When he had said these things, he had cried out with a loud voice. That's verse 43 up there. Y'all say this with me now. Lazarus, come out. He had to call him by name, you see, because the Jewish people, well, they would stick multiple dead in the tomb together. And if he didn't call him by name, well, he would have rise of the walking dead up in Bethany. Lazarus, come out. Disappointment, come forward. Heartache, front and center. Anguish, come out. If three is company, two, then four is surely a crowd. So no more negativity, no more naysaying, no more nepotism, no more. And when he says this, verse 44 says, the man who died came out. The dead dream came out. The lost hope came out. The conundrum came out. I'll invite the band back up as I finish here. Back to verse 44. It continues like this. His hands and feet bound with linen strips. His face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to him, unbind him and let him go. Church, sometimes we might go from death to life and still not be free. We might be bound by linen strips of heartache and disappointment and faces wrapped with a cloth of anguish. But we need to be around some folks who would not care if we stinketh so that will help us become unbound and be free. We may have expectations of God and expectations of the church that get unmet. And in our frustrations, we stop coming to church. We stop talking to brothers and sisters in Christ. But even though we might get hurt by the church, we still need the church to help us heal, to be, help, help us become unbound. I mentioned it once already, but by the generosity of a lot of you, I was afforded the incredible opportunity to go down to Guatemala and to the land of hope. 
knowing that they had some challenges with their team there with unity, we brought down with us an overall message of unity. We brought the message. I didn't expect to embody the message. But it was a beautiful God thing to not only be talking the talk, but also be walking the walk. The seven of us became closer together. The 10 of them became closer together. And by the power of God and the Holy Spirit, 17 brothers and sisters of the body of Christ came together to create one spirit glorifying God. Now tell me that's not a family photo. Church, are we inviting Jesus into our situations? Telling him what we need or are we leaving him at the gate? Are we getting confused by whether or not Jesus is working when he actually is? Are we getting a no from Jesus? We might be all up in here singing, all your promises are yes and amen. And Jesus is like, I don't know about that. That's not going to do you any good. Let me redirect you like the taller that you are and give you this instead. Are we expecting the unexpected? from him who can do abundantly more than we may ask or think. He called Lazarus by name, told him to come out. He wants to call you by name, call you out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. And he wants to empower you to do the same for others. Let's pray.